Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expeditors Podcast, where we look at the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today we're going to take a look at aviation manufacturing and understand how one of the most profitable industries is faring today after a wild three years. How does this industry support itself and keep planes in the air, whether through maintenance or fulfilling orders from airlines? Today, I have Jim Congeno, our Global Director of Aviation and Aerospace Vertical, to talk more about this. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's so great to be here. Really looking forward to our conversation. We we have a lot to talk about, a lot to cover. I'm excited to go through all this. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot to uh, to chat through here. But before we do that, let's get a little bit of background on you. Um, walk me through your background, your history, your like, why are you interested in aviation? What's your career been like? Absolutely. Yeah. I started in the aviation world about 20 years ago, working for suppliers of primarily cabin interior components. So suppliers that made seats, suppliers Mm -hmm. that made bins and galleys and everything for the inside of the plane. And, uh, you know, started on the production floor, very much seeing how parts made their way through the factory and to the final customer and realized early on that I love the customer side of things, what the customer's customer almost thinks um, and what's important to them. Uh, Really just a passion for that. So I never really, I wasn't an engineer by trade. You know, I never really grew up as an airplane nerd. I'm an airplane nerd now, proudly stated uh, airplane nerd, but um, never grew up that way. Uh, But that's, yeah, that's, that's my background. And and have worked really close with the airlines, been able to be fortunate enough to visit many airlines around the world that growing up as a, as a kid in rural Maryland, uh, I never would have thought that was possible, but it's been fantastic. The the opportunities the industry has uh, has given and uh, excited to talk about that today. And this is a relatively new role for you as global director. What are your responsibilities now? Actually, talk a little bit about what you've been able to accomplish within Expeditors. Been with Expeditors uh, seven years and uh, just recently into the, the role of the global aviation director. And in that role, we're really responsible for our aviation business in general, our strategy innovation, new products, what we do uh, with our partners. And those are the airlines, suppliers, uh, but also base companies and defense businesses. You know, there's there's so much going on. And we'll talk about, you know, the boom supersonic aircraft, the air taxis. My gosh, we have such a wide breadth of industries that we cover and call on. So uh, myself and, and my team, we are, I guess you could say within expeditors, kind of the subject matter experts yeah. of what those supply chains need now, but also what they're going to be like in the future. And that's where we spend a lot of our time, certainly, you know, working with our teams on current pain points, maybe that our customers have, but very much on the innovation side of of what's next and working with our colleagues here at Expeditors. It's a great place to be. I imagine when you started working in on the manufacturing floor, was it was it just to get a job, just to start working? So, okay, first story is that <laughs> I started, I graduated from college and my first job was at a golf course, literally picking up balls on the driving range. I'm sure my parents were so proud of me at the, at that <laughs> point using my college degree. But uh, that was my first job out of school. I didn't have anything lined up. Sure. Um, and I was fortunate enough, one of the members uh, that was playing golf, you know, I was loading his golf bag onto his golf cart. And uh, he knew that I had just graduated and said, hey, we've got a big you know, contract that we just won come talk to us. And and one thing led to another. And that's how that was my entry level job. Okay. Um, so it could have been an automotive company. It could have been a pharmaceutical company or a high tech company. It just for me happened to be an aerospace company. And once I was in, I just absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, I was gonna because my next question there was like, what what has kept your attention or held your your passion really through through this industry? Absolutely, you know, I have I have such a passion for it because it it touches so many people. You know, you, you Chris, I'm sure have flown many times, and you have your opinions on things that you like and things that you don't <laughs> like, and right. just trying to get that right again. Back in my cabin interior days, you know, trying to get that right, and um, you know, being able to really influence that let's say influence something that really everybody touches and uh, not everybody. I mean, we still have a long way to go from a global perspective of sure. getting people on airplanes and that's where our growth will come from. But um, that's really, uh, that's really where, where the passion was. And I'm a pretty competitive person by nature and it's a pretty <laughs> competitive business. So mm -hmm. I also like that, uh, you know, the opportunities to, uh, to win and to be successful with the, with the companies and the teams that I'm with. So that, that comes out as well. Oh, good. Well, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and get started with our first question here. We're talking about the aviation manufacturing industry. This is different from whenever we talk about the you know aviation in terms of transportation. And we've covered other industries before, you know, automotive, healthcare. What sets the aviation industry apart from them? What kind of special needs does it have? Why is it important for us to have specialists within this space? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a timely question too, Chris. As we're recording the podcast, the Paris Air Show just happened earlier this week, yeah. um, which was really, you know, the Super Bowl or the World Cup or the, you know, whatever huge sporting event we could equate it to where, you know, the two major OEMs, Boeing and Airbus, just booked, I think, another 1,200 airplane worth of orders. Yeah. So, you know, if Chris Parker Airlines is going to start here anytime soon and you wanted to buy 100 planes from Boeing and 100 planes from Airbus, you could get them in 2032, I think. So um, it's pretty strong demand. And so what, what makes aviation different? And, and whether you're a supplier or an airline, the core of everything that everyone does is safety. Right. And, and that's really the middle of the concentric circles. Safety is always in the middle. Mm -hmm. And what derives from that are, you know, things like uh, parts. Every part on the airplane that you fly is certified in some way, shape or form. The parts are certified, the assemblies are certified. So that compliance piece, it really permeates through the whole industry. Um, and what it does is it also dictates timelines for suppliers to make parts, timelines certainly for uh, the OEMs right now to make aircraft, but it impacts everything. So everything permeates from there. Here's an example. So a supplier, some of the suppliers that, that I used to work with right. um, had test facilities where really these are multi-million dollar state-of-the-art facilities to test conditions that the FAA mandates that they're tested to. So there's some dynamic testing where, you know, literally parts are moving, but these test facilities require a huge investment. You know, that's a big part. I know there's automotive testing, obviously. So thinking you know, you've probably seen the videos of the automotive testing. A lot of aircraft parts uh, go through that as well. And then, you know, we have the manufacturing facilities. So the manufacturing facilities are certified and audited to different requirements, ISO, so they're not easy to move. If there's a geopolitical situation happening in one place or, God forbid, a fire or something like that happens somewhere and, and a facility burns down, getting them back online makes it pretty tough. So that's one. So safety is one. Another one is, is what I touched on before, which is just the demand in the industry and the backlog. So this is an industry, I always joke with, with a lot of my colleagues here, that it's tough to name another industry with literally eight years plus, probably more now after Paris, yeah. of backlog. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it really wild. is. And what that means is just those long cycle times. So Boeing and Airbus could stop. I use them as they're the two biggest OEMs. Sure. They could stop selling airplanes today and they'll be building airplanes through 2032. Jeez. It's really phenomenal what that means. And so, of course, that trickles down to the tier one suppliers, the tier two suppliers. So that demand and what that does then for the industry is hugely important. And then you get into some other things, the critical logistics space, uh, AOG requirements. You know, if you've ever had a had an aircraft that, you know, you get delay notice and there's a maintenance issue or something like that. Sometimes that's our you know, responsibility to get parts to that aircraft so it can be fixed so you guys can go. There's nothing worse than that kind of a delay. And then some other things like, you know, the oversized and expensive items. So all of these items are certified and that adds cost then to the actual part. But, you know, moving these oversized and expensive items comes with some risk as Mm. well. So, you know, having a compliant partner that is very focused on customer service, on detail, it becomes becomes mandatory. We're a little bit like the automotive world, but unlike the automotive world in that we don't deal with maybe hundreds of thousands of parts, but in a lot of cases we deal with tens of thousands of parts. And so it's not as massive, let's say, as the automotive, but it's more customized. Mm -hmm. What would you say is like the most recent innovation or development in terms of safety that really has changed the way that the industry does things? Yeah. So um, the, 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 the industry is a learning industry. Every, you know, fatal accident, of course, is learned from by not just Boeing and Airbus or other aircraft manufacturers, but the, the industry is, you know, all the statistics of, you know, the most dangerous part of your travel when you're on an airplane is actually the drive to the airport. Right. right. Um, (laughs) The industry is amazingly safe and secure, but that also trickles down then uh, to the suppliers as well, their attention to detail and, you know, kind of the stringent requirements then that the governing body set for everyone too. So that's really what it comes down to is that it's a very much a learning industry. And unlike some others, I think that there's maybe a knowledge sharing that happens at times, even between competitors, Yeah. because really that core, back to the core, right, of, of safety, if suppliers or, or, or OEMs won't keep things necessarily safe, there's certainly IP and proprietary information, but, you know, if it benefits the industry, there's many conferences and kind of get industry get togethers where all that information is shared. I think that's pretty unique and pretty special. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. So, I mean... Even for as profitable and as competitive as the industry may be, there's still some like good like sportsmanship almost in, in terms of sharing this this information so that everyone is compliant and, and operating as safely as possible. When it when it comes to that world, for sure, that, yeah, that yeah. compliance and safety piece. Now, you know, com, there's certainly competitive nature and, and interiors, <laughs> sure. you know, my I can speak to that because that's where I came from. Yeah. Um, you know, who has the better seat? And, and uh, you know, my parents were just here and they were telling me, you know, well, we I'm not going to say the airlines. We like this airline because <laughs> they have comfortable seats and we this one wasn't as comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, it, it makes a difference. You know, I, I, I use them as a proxy kind of for just passengers, mm-hmm. uh, uh, general passengers in general of what they think. And, you know, they're does that one have the TV on the back and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, <laughs> That's uh, that's that's a fun little aside there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that this is a learning industry. What would you say are some of the the vulnerabilities that this industry has learned about uh, when it comes to supply chain and, and moving parts, keeping things keeping things going and supplied? It's a great question and one that we grapple with basically every day. And and it's it's really links in a chain and it starts with the aircraft manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of like an inbound manufacturing situation where starting with the raw material. 
that that goes into then maybe uh, a, a smaller part that goes into an assembly that goes into a larger assembly that goes into an aircraft. Those links have sublinks, and and each one in a lot of cases there's very strict requirements and regulations. At times, you can fall behind with again a failed test or an engineering design maybe that didn't work exactly as it should have or or that you had hoped that it would. So those links it, it's a, it, it can cascade, and supply chains can quickly fall behind, mm-hmm. which then will you know kind of if we're not involved at the front. We'll step in and, and try to do some expediting and, and you know, so there's some other ways that we can work through that. But, you know, here, here's an example, the inbound to manufacturing at the, the aircraft manufacturer. They have a very strict, they call it their skyline, right? Their production mm-hmm. line, basically, of that, you know, this aircraft is coming, then this one, then this one. In some cases, it's a moving line. You know, it may be moving just incrementally, but there's a very strict strict sequence of when parts go either on the aircraft or into the aircraft. So missing that is a major, major deal. I mean, every red flag that you can imagine would go up. So supply chain, you know, kind of back to your question of of being vulnerable. There's a few spots where where you've got some vulnerability there. You know, right now we're seeing that with the, not even at the apex, kind of where the aircraft manufacturers are, but a lot with the third and fourth tier suppliers because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So during COVID, you know, we had in our industry what you know some referred to as a brain drain, where very seasoned people. I mean, our industry went down, you know, by some measure, seventy percent in some segments, fifty percent in others, eighty percent in others. That sparked, you know, unfortunately layoffs. That sparked retirements. Those folks that let's take the early retirements. You're, you're losing at times 20 and 30 year people and yeah. replacing them with folks that don't have as much experience. Well, there's an impact there because they have to be trained. You can't just, you know, you don't walk in obviously with, with 20 years of experience, but mm-hmm. um, you know, these are very skilled manufacturers that we're talking about in a lot of cases. And so companies can quickly get behind and that's what's happening right now. When we say that supply chains are constrained, we can't keep up with the demand that's required. So those would be the, probably the most vulnerable parts. So it's always the people and the and the and the parts. You know, it's it's those two it's those two levels right now that are taxing. I would say the supply chain. And I chatted on with someone on a previous episode, and, and help me remember the number here, or like kind of the average number here is how many part suppliers are there under the like a single umbrella for an airline. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there are. You know, it 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 obviously uh, for for an airline. Um, and, and for, really, it starts with the aircraft manufacturer. Like sure. if you're buying a car, you know, and then you have the car, you have to do the repairs. Right, right. Um, some measures, it, it could be different for different providers, but ten to 15,000. That's insane, right? Chris, <laughs> we go to some of these conferences and, and expos and you just look around at how many suppliers, even for for industry, you know, specific industries within the industry, yeah, you know, yeah. interiors, avionics, propulsion, it's there's there's so many suppliers in each one, and you know, there's there's a market for it because they all 
are going concerns. I mean, they're, they've been here for a while and, and we, we always joke that they, their boots keep getting bigger each year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, at the show. So they must be doing something well, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it's a big number. And, you know, we can, we can do a whole nother podcast on how many parts go into each plane. And, <laughs> you know, that's uh that's a big number as well. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned for our 20 part series on, <laughs> <laughs> on how a plane gets built. You no, know, I'm here for that. If you want to do that, I'm here for that. <laughs> well, you mentioned COVID earlier, and, I don't, and this kind of leads me to my next question here, was you know, over the last couple of decades, how has the aviation industry fared or absorbed the impact of global events? I'm thinking of, um, I mean, 9-11 was obviously a really big one. Um, you could draw a line in history for that one, at least in recent history, um, mm-hmm. by, by that event. And even like the the Reykjavik like eruption, yeah. right? That was a big thing that affected air travel. How, does, how did the industry, the manufacturing industry, absorb events like that? And how does it kind of survive and, and get through those? Yeah, these events almost mark the if you if you go back and look at a profitability chart for aviation, those events are markers. You know, yeah. there, there, there's a marker where the global industry as a whole was profitable and then boom, you know, terrible event. And it's down for anywhere from a few months to maybe a couple of years to COVID being the worst case. But it really is a roller coaster. If you go back to kind of like the late late 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s, before things really started to pick up, profit and loss was kind of incremental. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you had a zero line and you'd be above a little bit from some years and and below a little bit for, for some years. Right around 2013, 2014, that changed. And not the impact of global events, because we we're just coming off of the worst global event that the industry had ever seen from a profitability level, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in about 2013, the airlines really focused on profitability measures. And that's where you saw things like when you log on now to book a flight from Seattle to LA, you can buy a seat assignment. You can buy check bags. You can buy a meal on board for your flight in the future. So there was kind of this decoupling of I buy a ticket. I can choose my seat. I can check some bags. I can buy food in a lot of cases. We're generalizing, obviously. But um, that decoupling led to uh, even more uh, profitability for wow. uh, for the airline. So um, and people paid for these things. So it's very much been a roller coaster. And, and, mm-hmm. and the question for us in the industry is not, you know, well, you know, are, are the shocks behind us? There's going to be another shock. Sure, sure. We don't we don't know what it is. But the one thing that the industry has done is that the industry is is it, well, there's two things about it. Number one is it's resilient. Um, because after every one of those shocks, the industry came back. Right. And that's exactly what's happening now is that there is a pent up demand to travel. What's different this time around is that usually corporate travel comes back first. But through a lot of leisure stuff, leisure travel, it's leisure stuff. And, yeah. and it's, you know, again, people like my parents who want to travel, uh, they're retired a little bit more comfortably. So they're mm-hmm. willing to buy up to like a premium economy type offering um, to have a little more space, a few more amenities. But the business and the demand now, you know, people couldn't see grandma a few years ago. People couldn't go on girls trips and boys trips and, you know, golf trips and fishing trips. And we couldn't get together for family reunions and class. That's all back open now. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's those possibilities are back out there. You know, you look at the industry now, the corporate travel still a little bit behind. It's still it's still lagging. Depending on who you talk to or what you see, it's about 80%, 85% to 2019 level. So 
not quite all the way back, sure. but the industry was profitable, eked out a little profit last year and should be more profitable this year. So it is, Chris, it's a resilient industry. It, it just keeps coming back because of that demand to travel. So that was on the so that's on the travel side. What about the manufacturing side? Um, how does it absorb impact and, and what's the state of that industry like right now? Yeah, so touched on a little bit before of what the what the suppliers are going through right now. They right. just so they're constrained, you know, the brain drain of, of people leaving the industry, um, folks with less experience coming in, having to be trained. There's some other things that are going on in the industry as well. Suppliers are looking at the opportunities to potentially things that they maybe wanted to do before, but were too busy, mm-hmm. big thing, like moving manufacturing facilities. We have a manufacturing facility in Asia. We're a U.S. based corporation and we want to look at Mexico or somewhere else in South America or maybe Canada. Just looking at that nearshoring or as our friends at Onyx would say, friendshoring, um, (laughs) there's some of the geopolitical things that are going on right now. It's tough to do that during the days of COVID when your business is down so much. Those kind of capital investments are difficult. but. There's also a second sourcing. So in the past, supply chains, aerospace supply chains have gotten in trouble, typically when there's a single source. When there's a single source and something happens, but this is the only company that can make this part that goes into this aircraft. I mean, you talk about if you're a project management professional, you know, that single point of failure, that's it. So um, bringing on second sources and where those where those facilities are hedging your risk a little bit. I don't think this is aviation specific. I think we see this in a lot of other industries as well. Um, You know, China is the easiest example. We've got a factory in China, but we want another one maybe in Southeast Asia or Mm -hmm. in South America or, or somewhere else just to mitigate that risk. So from that perspective, you know, the manufacturers, the state of the industry is important. The highly regulated environment, that's not going to change. It's going to be hard for suppliers. Boeing, you know, on the heels of, of they've been very public about on the heels of the 737 MAX situations, they're looking at how they do things a little bit differently as well. And that trickles down, you know, kind of what Airbus and Boeing are doing trickle down to the rest of the industry. There's uh, the the labor shortages and and layoffs, retirements, the knowledge leaving the industry. But here's the deal from from an aerospace manufacturer perspective. What do companies like expediters, what do we need to do mm-hmm. as a supplier to tier one, two, three and, and aircraft manufacturers? The key things in our industry are reliability and meeting commitments. Mm-hmm. For, for for many reasons. And, and you know, this is on the on the new production inbound to manufacturing side. You know, we say we're going to something's going to be there then because the rest of the planning is around that um, price will always matter. And, and price, we, we, it's incumbent on us to be as, as price uh, competitive as we possibly can. Reliability and meeting commitments and that compliance piece that, again, for us, just like it's the core for aerospace, it's the core for us to be compliant. Um, those are a given. But those reliability and commitments, especially in an industry that's ramping up the way that it is, critically important to us uh, these days. I'm hearing a lot of, you know, whether it's it's not just the aviation industry, like you said, it's other other manufacturers are thinking about changing their sourcing. Given the 
highly regulated nature of the aviation manufacturing, does that put them at a disadvantage to, to get that space because there's more considerations for safety? There's such an irony in the aerospace industry, Chris. It's, it's, it's so interesting that, you know, uh, to get from we're in Seattle to New York by the best alternative means of transport, like yeah. a bus or a car, is days. And it's hours to get from Seattle to New York in an airplane. It's very fast. Right. <laughs> the ironic part is that a lot of times the supply chains move very slow. Sure. Innovation and, and the time that it takes to do things is very, very slow. It has to be slow because of the regulations and the compliance and the certifications that are required to keep that core, to keep all of us safe, as safe right. as possible. Yeah, that's Nothing paramount. Trumps that. Nothing trumps that. So to your question, the answer is yes, it does it does take longer in a lot of cases. And you know, these new so we talked about the brain drain, the new people coming in. Well, the aviation industry is also competing with the high-tech industry, right? And I mean automotive industry and the other industries to get good solid folks into the industry. So that absolutely hurts. If if you know a company in another sector is going faster and their facilities up and running. While you know maybe an aviation company has to go through half a dozen more checks or or something like that on the labor side, that absolutely could have a big impact on the talent that you get available. So, what do you think they have to leverage themselves? Um, like, what's the what's the special card in their hand that they have to play to say that they can keep up with these other industries? Then you know, a lot of it is the magic of flight and the yeah. magic. It's just a cool is, industry. It is such a cool. <laughs> it is such a cool industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't go into. We always laugh. You don't go into aviation to be paid a, a bazillion dollars. Maybe that's different for some people, but um, <laughs> you know we always laugh about that. But just the mat to be part of that, at the risk of sounding a little melodramatic, it's pretty special. Sure. That you know I, I have a lot of pride when I get on an airplane and know that you know we expediters have moved some parts that are on that plane. We certainly have a lot of cargo underneath that plane, but mm -hmm. it's really a uh, a special magical is is the is the best way to. Uh, to think about it, feeling. And and also there's what I touched on before, the competitive nature. I mean, it's yeah. a very competitive industry from the top of the pyramid to the bottom. You know, if you're a curious person, there is a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of learning that you can do in a time like this. If you go in, work hard and prove yourself, there's opportunities galore. I mean, look at me. I started on the shop floor for goodness sake. And then yeah you know, got to the customer side and now I work for this amazing company. So we have uh, a lot of opportunity. And again, with the ramp up and some of those more experienced folks exiting the workforce, I would argue that now more than ever, there's there's a lot of opportunity for folks who are less experienced or that, you know, are competing or where should I go work for that? And with that opportunity, I mean, the industry is going through a really big change here. And this kind of leads us to our next question here is, the Boeing just announced like a new plane um, with a really innovative design. It's got these trusses that are supporting these <laughs> super long wings. Um, and I read that it's be it's aimed at greater sustainability, you know, uh, reducing emissions um, and fuel and just increasing fuel efficiency. How do you think the next generation of planes is going to change the way parts are moved and the way we build them? You touched on the key word there in terms of sustainability. This is, is it, it is so far, it's so not a buzzword. I've never seen the industry rally collectively around a cause like, like I have for this. And here's another example, you know, where I mentioned it at the start, some major manufacturers just penned a letter. I don't have it with me, but I did see it mm -hmm. on 
their collective sustainability commitment. I mean, that's a Mm -hmm. great example, right? That's not IP. That's just the right thing to do. So certainly Boeing is involved in that. And just to to clarify a little bit, the aircraft that you're referring to, Chris, I think that was a concept um, that uh, that they were looking at. But I mean, it's a great example of what is to come in the Mm -hmm. future. And, you know, maybe maybe our kids, uh, what what our kids will be flying on. Here's another example or quick, quick story. So the 787. Yeah. The aerospace industry considers the 787 a, a still pretty relatively new product. The 787 was ro- first rolled out of the factory here in Seattle on July 8th, 2007. So 7th, <laughs> July 8th. Yeah, you see what we did there. Cute. Um, <laughs> 7, 8, 7. Even I can remember that. Date. Yeah. So, anyway, 2007. We're in 2023, for goodness yeah, sake. Now, yeah, it's that, a new that, product that was still. Yeah. Literally, kind of the debut of the aircraft. Sure. It wasn't. It didn't. The first delivery was 2011 mm-hmm. with uh, with ANA, but that's still 12 years ago, for goodness sake. And yeah. that's considered new. I mean, Boeing took a ton of orders for the 787 this week in Paris. So mm-hmm. long innovation cycles. That's what we talk about in this industry because of some of the challenges that you've got. Not dissimilar, I think, to the automotive industry in terms of what they're doing with the in the electric vehicle space. It's just a bigger challenge for aircraft. Again, we could probably do another podcast on sustainability. I know you've done a few of those probably, <laughs> sure, but sure. there's just not a big enough battery that you can carry to have an electric aircraft for anything over maybe like an hour flight right, right. now. And that's right, going right. to change. That's going to, and, and it's going to evolve. And the exciting thing for the industry is absolutely that, how we evolve. And then, you know, in terms of the next, you, you touched on the next generation. So the next generation, I mean, these are things like the the vertical takeoff and landing, yeah. uh, aircraft, air taxis, drones, all these things that are so exciting and interesting in the in the field of mobility. I would say, you know, how how we get how we get from place to place from a manufacturer's point of view. There's things like additive manufacturing, you know, 3D printing is maybe the the more common word, right, um, right. you know, where you don't actually have to source a part. You have to make it now. A lot of hurdles there. It's already being done in mm-hmm. some cases, but still a lot of hurdles to get through from a regulatory or a certification. Just thinking, yeah, yeah. How do you verify the safety of a product when it just magically appears? <laughs> you can imagine, right? And and the the other beauty of the innovation is that it's it's a very collaborative innovation. Boeing right. and Airbus don't go in their own room and 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 do these things on a whiteboard alone. They pull in. I mean, the first thing they do is pull in the engine manufacturers. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the engine manufacturers are, are so important and interior manufacturers and propulsion and you know what does this design do or, or what could it potentially do and, and that sustainability piece now it's it's not an add-on anymore it it, it has a seat at the table if you mm-hmm. will for any new design that's coming another space too that's exciting is the, the technology that's used to manage supply chains I feel like lately you can't really go anywhere without hearing a reference to AI or ChatGPT, how it's going to take all our jobs away, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but is AI or like other kind of burgeoning technologies making themselves known in the aviation industry? The best way to frame that is around predictive maintenance. Okay. One of many AI applicants. I'm not sure we can foresee all the applications for AI. But predictive maintenance. So here's the difference. You are, you, Chris, are flying for, let's do our Seattle to New York example. And, you know, the coffee machine on your plane is broken in flight, let's Mm -hmm. say. Unfortunate situation, but it's a it's a component with with moving parts. Right now, when the plane lands in New York, someone gets on the plane, the, the flight attendants would write up 
the, the coffee maker's broken. Someone would come on, go off, you know, oh man, the, the coffee machine's broken. You know, it's not important enough for a pilot, say, to phone <laughs> ahead and say, hey, our coffee machine is yeah. broken. <laughs> so the maintenance crew would come on, take it off. They would go back to their warehouse. They would mm-hmm. put their old repair. They would take a new one, come back on the plane. Well, that, depending where the warehouse is, depending what other things the maintenance workers are doing, my gosh, that could hold up the next flight going out. And, you know, now you're talking about customer sentiment, people that might miss connections. Yeah. So here's here's the difference of what's happening now in the, certainly with AI, we're not quite there yet, but these sure. are the things that we're thinking about are applications like this, where a flight attendant maybe has an iPad and he or she puts in broken coffee maker on, you know, flight 5487, whatever it is from Seattle to JFK. Mm-hmm. Now, when the plane lands and the people deplane, the maintenance workers are right there at the gate with the new coffee maker in their, in their hand. Ready to go. Yeah. And they walk on, take off the old one, put in the new one. It's completely transparent to the passengers other than the folks that didn't get their coffee on the way from Seattle to JFK. Yeah. <laughs> but that's for the actual flights. Mm-hmm. Think about what that can do for repairs. Yeah. You know, as well, the diagnosing of repairs, just the possibilities are really endless. From a manufacturer or supply chain point of view, you know, this is where digital twin technology comes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and And the digital twin, est- the, the estimates of where that's going is exponential. Right. Um, you know, we obviously have an application for that now within within expediters that we use with several of our airline partners and supplier partners being able to do different scenarios. And if we did this, what would the knock on impacts be? I'm not a digital twin expert by <laughs> any means, but it's something that, you know, again, I know we have those in the in the network, Chris, so you can talk to them. Sure. But, you know, the applications there are phenomenal. So being proactive or predictive instead of reactive and what that does ultimately for for customer sentiment. The airline industry is cutthroat. Every major airline, no matter where they are and what their niche is, whether they're a huge international carrier or a low-cost domestic carrier, every seat that they can fill is incremental profit for them. So every minute counts. There's an old industry adage that, you know, planes don't make money sitting on the ground. They make money up in the air. Right, and right. that's, you know, what every airline is uh, is laser focused on. So this technology that's coming, whether it's AI, you know, with the digital twin technology, it's something we absolutely uh, have to be all over. And, you know, I think that's kind of in our DNA as expediters. That's what we do. So it's exciting for what's to come there. Uh, once aviation manufacturing and, and the airline industry have made a full comeback, what do you think will be the next big challenge to tackle or the big question to answer? Yeah, the the big one right now, the airlines, as they go through and, and have had their earnings calls now from, mm-hmm. from quarter one of 2023, I, I think each CEO and, and each COO that spoke on these airlines calls, and these are Americas, of course, but this right. is a global situation, was infrastructure. And, and as we talked about multiple times through the podcast, the industry is growing, the demand is growing. The airlines, if they could snap their fingers and have more aircraft, they would deploy them today. But yeah. things like slots, literally a gate at an airport, there's a finite number. So those challenges are not easily fixed. Where can you expand the runways in Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. Right. Where can you expand the runways in in New York, Chicago, Seattle? And that's the Americas. I mean, think of London Heathrow. My goodness, there, there's there's hardly any space there. And you know, that's also why some of the 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 aerospace analysts think that places like Dubai and you know maybe uh, India for sure is going to be the largest growth 
market in the world for aviation. Almost everyone has said that. And on the heels of Paris, that became even more and more clear. So that infrastructure piece, that's not an easy solution. You know, it's not easy to expand infrastructure. And that's happening again. That's a global phenomenon. The other one, Chris, is is air traffic control. So air, air traffic controllers and some of the technology that they have, being able to upgrade that seamlessly without impacting the industry is also a big deal. Mm-hmm. Again, back to what our theme has been, it's the safety is the core. There's nothing that will jeopardize that safety from that perspective. So being able to upgrade our air traffic control system, it's something that our governments and our airlines and that it's big time on their radar. And then, you know, people coming into the industry, we want that magic of flight and people who are driven competitively and, and really industrious and, and looking to do a great job and, and, and being recognized for that great job. Those are the ones that we want to come into the industry. So it's not like we talked about before, it's not that there's not going to be, there's going to be another shock. But Mm -hmm. we think what the airlines and what the suppliers have learned through, like you said, 9-11, the volcano SARS in Asia, right, is that how to navigate some of those things as best as possible. No one saw COVID coming and, and you know, the, some of the challenges that were there, yeah. certainly there's lessons learned that uh, that came out of it. But I hope that answers the question. Those yeah. are some of the of the bigger challenges. And, and you know, to end it with, with the people. Yeah. We need more pilots. We need more flight attendants. We just mechanics, need more. I've heard is a, there's a shortage of mechanics. Yeah. Mechanics, yeah. absolutely. The skilled, uh, skilled mechanics. Um, we just need more people who uh, who embrace the magic, let's say, uh, of, of airline flight in the industry. And with that, I think that brings us to the end of our conversation. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time here to to walk me through all this. This is, I don't know, like I always enjoy like learning about the industries like themselves and and uh, just all the qu- the problems, the questions that they have to ask themselves and, and the different kind of interesting ways that they're being solved. So I really appreciate you uh, talking to me about this. Absolutely, Chris. Again, I, you know, I uh, can talk all day, every day about uh, about these types of things. I, I just love it. And for any of your listeners that are out there uh, who are interested in this, please, I will make time. Uh, my team will make time to uh, to talk about the opportunities in the industry. We just we just love it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.